My mother has like a mini shrine in her room to me, which is a little embarrassing. So she, as while she was very sick and the doctors were saying that she's not well, she looked at me and she said, you see all those awards, you know how many they are? I said, I don't, mom. And she said, there are 36 awards on that wall. And I said, wow, that's amazing. She said, you know who's going to remember you had 36 awards? I said, who? She said, nobody. No one is going to come to your grave knowing that here lies a great designer or a great actor or a great person. They're going to come because you made them feel good about themselves and you lived a full life. Welcome to the Lighthouse Conversations, a podcast featuring entrepreneurs and tastemakers from the worlds of arts, culture, tech, and food. I'm your host, Hasha Montasir. If you're joining us for the first time today, you can listen to our extensive catalog of previous episodes in any of your podcast apps and on our website at thelighthouse.ee slash podcast. We've had some amazing guests on the show, including the woman behind JLo's iconic mustard yellow gown, founder of Maison Yeya, Yasmin Yeya, award-winning chef Mohammed Orfali, Dubai tourism CEO Asam Qadim, and the wonderfully hilarious ladies behind Boksha, Oda Barodi, and Maria Hebri. And today, I'm joined on the show by fashion designer Hassan Sharyar Yassin, or as he prefers to be called, HSY. As you'll hear in just a moment, I met HSY a couple of days before we recorded our episode. That's a very rare turnaround for me and for our show. But I was immediately struck by his vibrant energy. And as I learned during that first conversation with him and from Lighthouse BFF Ayman Fa'usa, his story has inspiration and motivation written all over it. Also, from now on, I'm calling myself HM. Actually, no, I'm going to call myself H-E-E-M. That's Hashem Asamuddin Montasir. Anyway, you guys can tell me whether you prefer HM or H-E-E-M. Funny story, totally unrelated to any of this. When I was a freshman in college, I took an English expository class, which was required, and I signed H-E-E-M. No one read my story, but everyone commented on my signature. And someone in the class, obviously very wise student, I'm sure he's doing very well now, said that it reminds him of E.E. E. Cummings. Again, I remind you, none of them actually read the story, um, but they loved my signature. So I might go back to H-E-E-M. Hassan, welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to have you here. I'm so surprised to be here. I, I met you just the other day. 48 hours, we're fast friends. 48 hours, and here we are sitting and talking <laughs> on mics. I don't even know what's going to happen next 48 hours. Well, to be honest, you have, and I, I mean this when I say it, you have great energy. Thank you. You were introduced by a, a great friend of ours, Ayman, so that also means a lot. And I'm, I didn't know you when I met you two days ago at the Lighthouse, but of course, since then, I've done my homework, and I've been really fascinated um, by your life story. So I'm going to kind of meander and go around, but I'm going to start somewhere with a quote that came up in, in one of the press, which she said, I have zero fear of fear. Yes. For someone who has a fear of failure, uh, it's a classic Harvard problem, by the way. Yes. So you start making fun of that. <laughs> um, walk me through this. Do you really have zero fear of fear? Yes. Um, and I think it's not something that I, I, I say um, uh, very gallantly, like, oh, it's something that I've always had and I'm just nonchalant. I started my life um, in a space where we really had nothing. I, I'm a product of a single parent. Um, my mother actually left and ran away from my father when I was about two. 
Since then, um, we had been struggling from place to place. We first moved to Abu Dhabi in 1979. I think I might have aged myself there. Um, <laughs> to um, him finding us here, us finding and packing ourselves and moving to London or to New York. And when I say Dubai, London, New York, I'm not talking about... It's not glamorous, yeah. I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, Mayfair and Belgravia. Yeah. I'm, I'm talking about uh, estate houses. And Hard living, yeah. I remember here in Abu Dhabi, there was a time when my mother used to live in, in a women's hostel where children were not allowed. And, uh, and it was just my mother and I. So for two years, my mother would sneak me in from the window of the first floor. And for two years, we did not have a conversation because if they heard someone in the room, they would throw her out and she couldn't afford to be anywhere. So my mother would write to me. And for two years, I would only write and I forgot how to speak. I, I, I couldn't even speak in school. I, I, I lost all skills on vocabulary, communication. Um, but I think all of that taught me something. It taught me the importance of not just resilience, but really savoring what zero feels like, what, what absolute zero feels like. Mm. Um, and I think when you're accustomed to the taste of what zero feels like, and you've seen it, mm. what do we fear? We fear the unknown. But when you know it, then why should you fear That's it? That's very interesting. Um, but then uh, I started working very young. We moved to the United States. Um, my first job was at 12. Um, it was the time that I realized that I had to help at home to make ends meet. Uh, and by 14, I was fully working. Um, um, pretending to be 18 somewhere, pretending to be 16 somewhere. Where in the States was that? Uh, this was in New York. Okay. And if New York lawyers are looking at this right now, I have no recollection of this conversation, <laughs> and I do not know of this illegal act. Life had been difficult for me in the way of like me having to settle into different places. Abu Dhabi, you're someone else. London, you're someone else. Now you're finding yourself. 16 is a very difficult age. You're really kind of understanding who is it that you are. But in my life, I really didn't have the option of really knowing who I was because I was who I was was a worker bee who would go to work. I would see my mother maybe once in a month because her job would be at night. I would be in school. I'd take myself to school, come back, work, come back. By the time I would come, my mother would be coming back from one shift, going to the other. It wasn't like, I wouldn't say, oh my God, it was so difficult. It was just what I knew. Yeah. And um, what I knew is what I could handle. So by 16, I had now finally found a footing um, in, in life. I was now becoming, uh, and how important it is in those days to be popular. So I was becoming, you know, uh, well-liked. I was confident. And we went back to Pakistan for 10 days. Um, at those times, in those days, you had to go back to country of origin. Well, well, did you feel that confidence, sorry to interrupt you here before you continue, that confidence was um, actually you or were you trying to masquerade like a fear or, a, you know, insecurity of sorts? I mean, how much of it was, I mean, you're 16, so it's, but for some people, you know, it comes very easily, but it's actually kind of, you know, there's something behind that is very fragile. Did you feel you were that person or it was just you're being yourself? Fake it till you make it. Okay, cool. That's what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Fake okay. it till you make it. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. Sure. Um, early on, I wouldn't necessarily look at people's attitudes. I would look at the way they would react. And I started very early on, when I was even young in this grocery store I would work, I would ask clients their horoscope sign. I needed some kind of benchmark. And I thought, I don't have any kind of understanding of reading, so I'll read horoscopes. So I would see and ask them, like, hi, how are you? Can I help you? What's your horoscope sign? And they'd say Libra, or they'd say Scorpio. And I would immediately see what I've read. It, are, are, do they have the same kind of decision-making powers? And because of that, I started also seeing people's behavioral uh, aspects of how they behave, uh, if they fidget, why they fidget, if they turn and look twice, why is it that they do that? I was very big on understanding 
understanding and learning behavioral patterns. And I could also ape those behavioral patterns too. Mm. Um, it would be easy for me to understand that a successful man walks and talks like this. And then when you are looking in a space of needing something, you speak like this. These were my guidance. I didn't mm. have a parent at that time. I didn't necessarily have a father at that time. And I'm not saying boo-hoo me. I just No, knew. no, I get it. I, I knew what what the benchmark requirement was for being uh, accepted. And I and I took on those qualities. Um, I had no strength or guts to be able to tell my mom that I wanted to be uh, a fashion designer or in design. Only son of a single parent family, you are now expected to be. Though my mother never really said it in a bad way, she would always say failure is not an option. And that stuck. So mm. I wanted to succeed in whatever it is that I was going to do. And fashion didn't seem like a guy's job. And I was I knew that that would be an issue. But when we uh, got, in those days, you had to go back to country of origin to get your final green card. We went back to Pakistan. I had not been. I was going to say, Pakistan was not really your home. I mean, No, just, it wasn't. Um, yeah. it, it, perhaps it was my home in my heart because I thought that I, I had fantasized Pakistan, but it wasn't home. We went back, and um, at that time, my father was um, in power, and we uh, got banned from going back to the United States for 10 years. I, we had gone only for four nights. So my life changed, and immediately there, um, when I got there, I met with a car accident, and I became blind from uh, 16 to um, nearly 18, and spent two years of my life uh, in a hospital, unable to see, Oh I had my given God. myself up as a guinea pig to a surgical center, so they were operating on me um, at will. Um, you're healing, you're being cut, you're healing, you're being cut. So I had come back to a yet another new zero. When I got my sight back, um, the only thing I could really see was um, hues and shades of red. Um, they were the only thing that my eye was picking up. Um, and I would be so excited if my mother was going to feed me. She was going to put a spoon in my mouth and I would see the light hit the spoon. And I, that light was everything to me. So I would, I was, I was so overjoyed that I was also overpowered by wanting to finally say that, look, I feel like this is an opportunity here. Um, that, uh, that Allah has given me an opportunity to have another life. And I cannot, mom, I cannot, I cannot do what is it the world is expecting me to do. I cannot live in the same body that everyone is expecting me to. I cannot be in the same mindset just because it suits everyone's purpose. I feel that from now to this age, I feel like I've paid my dues to understand what does the world want. And I very early do not want what it wants from me. I want what I want from it. And I want to do things that make me happy. Not because they're designed, because I feel like I want to do things that make things look beautiful. I want to be around things that make me feel look make me feel like I'm giving something of beauty to the world, and that's how I got um, into wow. fashion. My fashion foray also wasn't necessarily going into fashion. I was in therapy, of course, as one would. I would I had over four hundred stitches on my face, and my friends who would come to see me at the hospital were all very sweet because they had come up with this very cute name for me called Frankie, and they would call me Frankie, Frankie, Frankie. But when I got my sight back, I realized they were calling me Frankie for Frankenstein, and it was it destroyed me. Uh, I don't know how I got emotional all of a sudden. So no, no, sorry, this no, was going to be fun. It was, it's it's a lot. I was at, I was seeing a therapist. My friend, best friend's mother was a therapist. Of course, I couldn't afford one. And she had said, what is it that you're most fearful of? And I said, I'm most fearful of being accepted again. And I'm most fearful of going into the world that I want to because I feel that all of it has been ripped away from me. And she said, fine, go. Go see. 
So there was an audition for a fashion show. It was happening in March 1994. Um, and the business of fashion had was at its infancy in Pakistan. So they were really taking anyone and everyone. And they were teaching them. It was going to be a 14-day modeling class and there was going to be a show. I went and auditioned. And of course, as luck would have it, because I was not necessarily the prettiest at the time, they made me into a, a, a pinning boy, a backstage pinning boy. <laughs> and sent me on my way back and started showing me how clothes are pinned. And we would practice on models when they would come. This is now new days. We don't even know how to change clothes and how quickly zip clothes up. We're really talking about the infancy. It was for designers. It was a multiple designer show. And I started realizing that their ideas, though, were great. The director's idea was great. I had all of these other ideas. I had I had constantly followed fashion since the moment I had seen Lady Diana go by in a carriage uh, when I was a young kid at their wedding. And I was so obsessed with her and her dress that I would constantly read fashion. And my mother sometimes would work in grocery stores where old mag fashion magazines would be. So I would read them like they were the most important book in the world. It's so funny that for so many of us from that generation, I mean, that moment is so iconic. My sister was obsessed with it. And we had all these posters and that carriage moment and that moment, it's sort of like, I think all over the world was yeah. like such a symbol. But anyway. Incredible. I'll come back to that story. That okay. story has a really interesting uh, full circle. Anyway, I, I um, they wouldn't, of course, let me model. And then I went to one of the designers who was closing the show. And I said, listen, I've got these ideas for you. I think the show can be like this. Uh, your formation of these three girls is not working out. You haven't really color coordinated your clothes. Right now, everyone's color coordinating. There's this whole movement happening about supermodels. It was 1994. I'm like, I think we should get with the program and at least have the girls the same height walk. These are, this is the music I'm thinking. If you're wanting to tap into the Pakistani market, why are you using Michael Jackson and Madonna? There are these incredible singers in Pakistan here who will not just resonate, but make people feel like you're selling them something that they want. Why not connect? Uh, let's give them something that's genuine, authentic. Um, and she liked my ideas, and suddenly she fired the director. I'm 18, turning 19, wow. um, and she says, you direct my show. So I went from backstage guy to show director in the same event. I directed the show, and there was the only article that came out about the show was, there is a new director called HSY because I don't like people saying my name wrong. People say, Has uh, they say Hassan and it's Hassan and I'm so particular about it. So I just say, say HSY, just you know, don't butcher my name. <laughs> um, and they wrote that. And here I am today in front of you. Dan I am so turning into HEM. Uh, do it. I'm just saying because I'm Hashem and they call me Shem. So now I'm HEM. Uh, babe, do it. But yeah. <laughs> It's, I, 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 I see a clothing brand. Yeah, me too. Uh, I see a future. Buildings. Buildings. Towers. Oh. Did someone say Trump Tower? No. <laughs> I don't think so. It's GM. Miami, Dubai, buildings, towers, fantastic. Singapore. Singapore. Budapest. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> You're an outsider looking in. A total outsider. So how would you have, A, the confidence, we talked a little bit about this, fake it till you make it fine, but now you're trying to connect with an audience that you actually don't really know. Right. You did not grow up there. No. So so is it that you were bringing in your, which is very common for anyone that lives outside of his own country, not fantasy, but like, you know, sort of vision, version of it. And it's usually very sanitized and right. beautiful. Right. Do you think you brought that into Pakistan, into your shows? Quite the opposite. Okay. I brought in exactly what they had seen for thousands of years and brought it back to them again. I realized that the only thing that I really resonated to myself, which I didn't realize before, was that I wasn't Western in my thought process. Mm. I was far more Eastern. And what I was seeing was making me feel joy because 
living outside, though I lived in countries that were very kind to me, don't get me wrong, I was never one of them. Yes. I, I learned how to speak like them. I learned how to dress like them. I learned how we to- We all did. But, yeah. I, but I wasn't them. Yes. But the moment I walked into Pakistan, I felt, I remember I was a dramatic young kid and so, so over dramatic. Like I touched my head down to the ground. I'm like, oh, I'm home. I'm home. Until like some guard picked me up and I like, get the hell up. I'm like, oh, wait, maybe yeah, I'm like not passport home. Passport control. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Maybe I'm not home. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I met all these cousins I never knew. I, I, I was I was eating in, in in spaces and and in time spaces. Like, what's this four o'clock tea that they talk of? And like, yeah. and, and why is at food? There are 20 of us cousins and everyone's eating with their hands and they're laughing. It felt wonderful. It felt almost like my DNA had connected and a puzzle had been completed. And when that happened, when I designed the clothes, I also saw the joy in the audiences because before I started design, I was directing. And when I was directing shows, I did a lot of shows and there was such a huge need and always has been in our part of the world to uh, ape the West and to try to see yeah. how we can put our finger on the pulse of Milan and London. Yes. So they would do those clothes and I would look at the audience, the actual audience, the buying audience, and they would be lost. But when you would give them something, for them, they were looking at those clothes and thinking, yes, my daughter can wear that, my sister can wear that, yeah. my mother-in-law can wear that. And I can relate to it. And I can relate to it. And yeah. I know where I can wear that. We often tend to forget the mass population of Pakistan. It's 240 million yeah. plus. And these are affluent people. We're not necessarily a country that is being is fading away. That's often the uh, It's opinion. so funny you're saying this because I was telling a friend this morning that we're having this podcast and I said, you know, you have to understand if you you know, quote unquote, make it, or you have have some success in Pakistan, that's 150 million people. This is not like success with, not that anything is wrong with it, but you know, half a million people live, it's a big place. It's a huge place. Uh, if you just look at television numbers are- It's off the just, charts. Uh, then just the television viewing numbers is 100 million plus. Yeah. 100 million consumer, buying consumers. Uh, the population of the United States, I believe, is 300 and something. Yeah, yeah, yeah not very far. Not very far. And these are people who can consume our products because we're also making them at the prices that they can consume as well. Uh, if uh, They used to ask me what my brand would stand for, and it's one, I wanted it first to stand for what is it that I never had, I never had known, culture, heritage, timeless, classic, all those things that I thought I was not. And um, I wanted to be all those. And I realized uh, the moment I stepped into it that I was. Here's the dichotomy that I find fascinating. The brand from research I've done very much is those, are, is those things. Mm. But you as a person mm. are have no problem being yourself and not shying away from being yourself and the best spokesperson for the brand and without trying to become that too. In other words, you know what I mean? You're just yourself as a spokesperson for what you've built, but you're not trying to fit in quietly under the brand. Right. I find that very interesting because I, f I feel with a lot of people with different brands, not just in fashion, you know, they build the brand and then they're like, oh, okay, well, I have to like act and look exactly like the brand. You're right. not doing that. No, I've always uh, believed that being authentic is so incredibly important, not just in your design, but in your own person. Yeah. I think people resonate to that. 100%. Now, if I see a client and they come back to me and they say, wait a second, what? now you've suddenly changed into someone else, I think they will also feel a little sense of disbelief, but more than I will feel a sense of disbelief. Yeah. My sense of actually believing is when I'm doing something that naturally comes to me. Yeah. So why should I change? And uh, you know, when you're young and you have this, this is a horrible thing to say, but I always say, if you don't put the McDonald's on my table, why should I pretend to be who you want me to be? I feed myself, I take care of myself. I'm a very respecting and respectful kind of guy. I live the life that I want to live. But in doing so, 
my mindset when it comes to my design is that I love to do interiors. I don't know if a lot of people know that we even provide a service we do interiors. Everything is very turn of the century, not postmodern Baha house, more postmodern South Asia, what Jinnah would have had in his house or what Nehru would have had in his house. These are just the kind of historical references that click with me. And your palace and your curated space yes. also. Absolutely, exactly like that. Every single thing is very deliberately designed in a way that if you were to walk into any um, beautiful manner in 1947, as Pakistan was being born, it would have looked like that. Is there a sense of nostalgia? So as an Egyptian, um, I have to admit, sometimes I have a sense of nostalgia for, you know, the, the, the old days of Egypt, royal Egypt, so you know, pre-1952, which is when the revolution happened. Right. I find myself kind of longing for that world, even though I didn't live in it. Right. And the images that come with it and that kind of certain, there was a certain class and style and mood. Um, I'm nostalgic. Yeah. What made you want to take that image of Pakistan? Same, nostalgia. I, when I came back here, I didn't even know that our family was as old as it was. Uh, I went to our graveyard. We have a family graveyard. And I, I was completely shocked that our first grave in that graveyard was 600 years old. I was like, wait, we, we have that kind of connection? And then I started going through old memorabilia and pictures from my mom's family, from my dad's family. And I started seeing all of these wonderful images of our, my grandparents and my great-grandparents being in politics from 1890, 1895 in their home. And I thought, wait, this is part of who I am. Yes. And I want to emulate it. And if I can emulate this authentically, it will fit. It will make me feel right. But more than that, I have found that it made other people feel comfortable. Now, we were just discussing this downstairs when we were chatting. What is it that people like when they come to your store? Can other people make clothes like me? Absolutely. Can other people make clothes better than me? Probably. But can other people provide the service and the space and the feel? Yeah. Fashion. Couture is not a need, it's not a want, it's a desire. Yeah. And we sell desire. Highly aspirational, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And but it's you... authentic to you. You see this point about the nostalgia is important. I mean, I similar to you. So on my mother's side, her family was always in politics. Right. Pre-revolution. Right. And I realized that that part of the heritage interests me. And part of me longing for that was also to understand it and kind of appropriate it in my own way. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. No. And I have re-brought this back into my business and the kind of viewpoint I have. Now, if others also like it, yeah. that's a big plus. Yeah. But you're not selling like a fake headshot, right? No, no. It's actually who you are. It's how right. you feel. We'll continue hearing about HSY inspirational journey and the climatic finish to his Lady Diana story that's coming up right after the short break. Welcome back. You're listening to the Lighthouse Conversations with fashion designer HSY. You are a product of a Western-Eastern hybrid. Right. I am too. Yes. Even though I'm born and raised in Cairo, but I have many years abroad in the West and US and Europe and whatnot. And that's okay. Yeah. It doesn't make me less Egyptian. Yeah. It makes me my version of Egyptian. Right. Um, and I'm very proud of that. Right. And I think you are as well. Absolutely. No, your story is interesting because I grew up there and kind of came back. You didn't grow up there, but came back and built your own version. Right. And it stuck. People actually feel a mental connection with you. Right. Well, I hope so. I, I think it shows for itself. My story about uh, Lady Diana, I wanted to tell you. Um, the um, Three years ago, um, I think it was 2019, that um, the royal family um, <laughs> uh, 
Did you see the, did you see the picture? I saw the picture. Yeah, that's why I'm laughing. So Please I wanted, tell the story. So I wanted to tell you the story about that. That was a really moving, fun, uh, and also an incredibly silly story because I was a little worried about what I was about to do. There was a state dinner for them, and um, there were about 300 of the most important people invited to come and meet, of course, His Royal Highness uh, Prince William and his uh, wife. And his wife. And um, I, I have to be very careful with the titles because I'm a, I am I feel like I don't want to mess that up. So I hope I said that right. Sorry, Willie. I'm interested. Oh, no, I can't say. <laughs> See, we still um, worry about the Brits. I was incredibly honored. I mean, I, I know this sounds a little silly, but in my mind, I am not HSY. In my mind, I'm still that 14-year-old kid. Yeah, of course. I'm still trying to figure out. I'm still walking into a room and struggling like, will I be able to meander through this room without making a fool out of myself, without tripping, without doing something? In my mind, it's always going on. Uh, I have usually been quiet and sullen after every award that I've won because I have no idea why I've won this. And I'm constantly questioning myself. And I'm like, mm, did I speak right? I question myself a lot. So when we were at this dinner, I was like, wow, 300 of these people. And I'm looking around. And keep in mind, these are the same 300 people who, when I was young, I had zero access yeah, to. And I built my access into them now. And you, now you, I you've, was, you've arrived, essentially. Right. Suddenly, this gentleman starts walking through the crowd and says that the crown has selected 10 people, only 10 who are going to meet, who, are, who have been asked to meet the uh, their royal highnesses. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm thinking, oh, of course, that ex-prime minister, of course, that ex-prime minister. They're calling out the names. Of course, three ex-prime ministers, of course. The biggest movie star, of course. Hassan. I'm like, which Hassan? Which Hassan? And they're like, and I'm confused. I'm like, what? They're like, yes, you. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. I'm just so confused. And before I can say anything, they're already taking me and giving me this protocol talk of, you know, and she comes. Um, we, you, we are now standing... 300 feet away, like on the other side, there's a lot of security. We're all standing at a gap and they're going to come and congratulate us for what is it that we've done. Completely, I'm like, now I'm sweating. I'm, and you know, when bald men sweat, not pretty side because it's like fountains. And I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. All of a sudden my white shirt is completely wet. It's drenched, stuck to my wall. And everyone's thinking, looking at me like, what's happened to us? And is he having like a mental breakdown? Literally, one of our ex-prime ministers comes and says, like, Hassan, are you okay? I'm like, I don't know if I'm okay. I, 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 yeah. speak to him. I think you move away. Like, I'm so nervous. Um, and they're coming to me, and my mind is rushing. And now I've suddenly been told by security, can you please put your hands behind your back and speak with, you know, like, so, you know, if you throw your hands forward, there'll be a security situation. Okay, I'm ready for this. And like, calm down. And now I can tell the security is getting a little worried that he's about yeah, to... Yeah, this, this guy is going to pass this, out. This guy's going to pass out. He's fall on Kate and it's going to be a disaster. It's going to be a disaster. Yeah. He's, he's going to vomit. There's going to be projectile <laughs> vomit. It's just, this is, yeah, this yeah. could go bad. Yeah, this could go bad. So as they're walking, um, I'm, I have my hands, you know, and I'm like, okay, do I curtsy? Do girls curtsy? Do guys curtsy? Do curtsy like this? And I'm practicing my curtsying while they're walking. Everyone is looking at this guy with... um. <laughs> So as she's walking by, I'm like, compose yourself, compose yourself. And then she, then they come and they say, your Royal Highness. I'm like, your Royal Highness, your Royal Highness. They're like, um, this is uh, HSY. He is um, one of the most important people responsible for creating the business of fashion in a country like Pakistan. And in 25 years, he has single-handedly the Radha. I'm listening to this. And I'm like, who are they talking about? Yeah, imposter syndrome. Oh, like, no, who's who, this person? Who is this person? Like, I... But of course, God forbid, I should have learned my lessons to say it's quiet. So I completely, I, I say, um, your Royal Highnesses, may I say something? And the ambassador is like, like, I said, this moment is far larger than you and I. And I feel I must share that with you. And um, they say, why? I say, well, you know, um, we're standing here for other reasons than just 
um, you coming to visit Pakistan and reminding us that we are still part of the Commonwealth in some way and us telling you, please welcome to our country and thank you. It is about your mother. Mm. And they pause and they say, how's that? I said, well, I was a very young kid, maybe four, five, when my mother took me away from a very difficult life. And I would find myself on her shoulders and what seemed like a sea of people, a sea of people. And in that sea of people, they were, there was an anticipation for something that was going to pass by that I had no idea of. I didn't understand what a princess was. I didn't know what a queen was. I didn't know what royalty was. All I knew is that all of these people were there to see someone. And within a few minutes, a carriage very, very far away where I could barely make out came and the roar of that sound was so deafening that the sound of beaming in my ear has always remained as a sign of joy because that's what I felt. And as that car went by, out came a woman who made all of us pause, not just then, but forever, because I would go back home to see that moment on television to understand why is it that this was. And why? That was, that, I was going to ask you this. I have, I have done my own fair amount of studying of the Lady Diana phenomena, but I would ask you this. Why do you think? Why? I, at that time, had no idea, but my, the child in me thought it was the dress. Okay. I thought that was a dress and that was the seed that was planted in my head that I needed to be a designer mm -hmm. because I thought it was the dress. Yeah. Because when she came out in that dress, people thought, I didn't know who she was. Sure. I didn't know what was happening. I said it was a dress. So I told them that when I went back home, I would take tissue paper and uh, make that white dress over and over again on my sister's doll. In 1996, I graduated. I was done with A-levels. I had done one year of work and I wanted to go to fashion school. I could not afford it. I could not afford it, sir. And your mother would give an interview on Panorama in 1996, where she would say that she is wanting to be the queen of hearts, no longer the queen of England. You brought that interview up? Yes. Wow. And I said, and in that, I suddenly realized that here was a woman who was willing to let go of everything the world wanted her to have, just like everything the world wanted me to have. And she was willing to let it go because of what she loved. So I went to fashion school. I went to fashion school and I had four jobs in fashion school. And in 1997, on year one, I decided that's it, I'm leaving. Because I couldn't do it, I was exhausted. I was working in a leather factory where the smell of glue was so strong, I was vomiting every day. So I said, I'm gonna leave. And in 1997, in August, your mother passed away. And I thought, here's a woman who wanted to live her life and she has no blood in her veins. She cannot cry, she cannot sing, she cannot walk, whereas I can do all of those things. And I'm letting just hardship let me down. I said, today, I'm celebrating 25 years in the business, and who's here to tell me that I matter? Her son. That's pretty quite powerful. I said, this is the most magical moment of my life. And my hands came up, and I said, I just want to tell you that, and I just want to thank you. And for me, that was the most full circle moment of believing in myself that what I'm doing is right. In the last five years, it's been pleasurable, no longer just push. I feel like in some way, a higher power told me that what you're doing is good and keep at it. And now I'm in a much happier state than I've ever been. And you seem freer. So so just from, you, you have obviously evolved. You do lots of other things. You act, you've acted in a comedy. Uh, you are, I think, <laughs> Uh, have another film coming up soon. Yes, I have a very big film coming up uh, with uh, a, a big movie star called Mevish Hayat. It's called Ijazat. It just we just finished shooting it. I um I did a television series um called Pehli Si Mohabbat, thirty eight episodes. My character became incredibly popular, 
Um, and I hosted my own talk show uh, for five years, which was the largest talk show in the region uh, in over 74 countries called Tonight with HSY. All of these things, mind you, were flukes. They were all things that I did because I thought, oh, I should do something else. And I'm constantly thinking of how to evolve as a person. My mom once told me, I have won a lot of awards in my life and I'm not showing off about them, just saying no, no, I no. have. You have, 100%. And um, when my mother became very sick, um, she was looking at, my mother has like a mini shrine in her room to me, which is a little embarrassing. Um, and she talks Cute. about it all the time. So she, as while she was very sick and the doctors were saying that she's not well, she looked at me and she said, you see all those awards, you know how many they are? I said, I don't, mom. And she said, there are 36 awards on that wall. And I said, wow, that's amazing. She said, you know who's gonna remember you at 36 awards? I said, who? She said, nobody. Nobody's gonna remember. I will remember, you will remember. No one will remember. And you know how I've always pushed you to get all these awards? I want to tell you something. Stop pushing. Live, do everything. No one is going to come to your grave knowing that here lies a great designer or a great actor or a great person. They're going to come because you made them feel good about themselves and you lived a full life. I, I, don't, I don't get a feeling from the 48 hours that I've known you that you're doing this because of the awards. I think it's a byproduct of your success and the fact that you're connecting with people. First 25 years it was for the awards, I'd be, I'd be okay. honest. That's, I, I, I appreciate that. And I actually First admire 25. the honesty because, I mean, also, look, there's always this question, right? So if, if you don't, quote unquote, make it and become, you also don't have the platform to tell your story. So there's some work that has to be done to be able to tell that story. Now, once you're in a position to tell a story, it's upon you to decide how you want to take this. You can either get 25, 36 more awards, right. or you can do a lot of the things that you seem to be doing now. I mean, you're very involved in philanthropy. It's clearly very genuine. You care about Pakistan, its people. You're um, looking into other things that you're doing, and you seem to want to connect with audiences in different ways. Right. That, that's the feeling I get. I think I, I have a certain uh, sense of purpose that I really required. And once I started uh, doing the, um, the the work with philanthropy, I, I also started zoning in on audits, what really authentically felt right. And because I couldn't see, I, I want to work with a blind hospital because I couldn't see, I want to I well, help run. That explains run. that part, the and cash part. I was that's wondering. That's right. Those all things make a difference. But you're absolutely right. I'm a huge believer that Pakistan is a country of tremendous potential. I am everything I am today because of this country. It didn't have any rules and set regulations set for me. I didn't have the advantage of having a big family last name. I didn't have the advantage of money, but I survived and thrived in a country that often people think you will not be able to. Yeah. I do not believe that. Over 50% of the population of this country is under the age of 32. It's one of the new burgeoning, new youngest youth bubbles there is. And what we right now need to do is tell stories of hope and can do. and. I have made it my life's mission to be able to do those. I have given more than five TED Talks. I go and speak at lots of colleges pro bono, wherever I can to be able to tell my story, may it be here on your podcast or anywhere else, because my story is not a story of resilience or it is a story of, it is just a story of focus and deliver. And if we can focus and we can deliver, what is it that we truly feel we are capable of doing? I think success will come, but more than success, satisfaction and happiness will come. And isn't that what life is all about? So that is, I guess, my one of my final questions for you, Hassan. I mean, what is driving you now? I can understand what drove you 25 years ago, 30 years ago. What's driving you now? And is there a, a hole you're trying to fill? Is there something you still feel that you kind of, you know, have a burning need to fill? I'm wondering, because I have that feeling sometimes, to be very honest, you know, that 
uh, even though I may have had some modest success here and there, there is something that I really still like some kind of burning desire to fail some kind. Of, I don't know if you have that feeling. I'm curious. I think it's very humble of you to say you, the the little success. Uh, congratulations on all the stuff that you've done. Thank you. But I I think when I say this, I think you will resonate. The moment we feel that it's done is the moment that we feel that it's over. And none of us want it to be over. The mm. burning desire doesn't necessarily have to be to do something bigger and better. It just has to be to continue to do stuff that make you feel alive. Mm. What is it that makes you feel alive? You have to do that. I am incredibly happy with what is it that I've done. I feel I haven't even scratched the surface of the things that I want to do. I have a whole list of things I want to do. But I do have a, a, a purpose. I want to leave a legacy. I feel that if I do not leave a legacy, I would be, it would be a life that would have not been of any worth to other people. And I don't want my life to not be worth something to someone else. You want the story to be known. You want to tell the story to inspire others? or I want, I want to tell a story that makes other people feel that they can too. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. And I think the way even you were telling me the story today, that's very clear, right? Because I think there's many touch points there where I can see someone hopefully listening and saying, oh, okay, if he's done this, maybe I can too. Right. And honestly, this was the main purpose of this podcast. I mean, right. this was exactly that. It was not necessarily about um, he's famous and well-known and have a gazillion followers and has mm. all the success and more about like the little nuggets, right? right? This person, and I didn't know half the story. I read everything I could in the press. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't tell the full story, right? And it's really is about this. And you have overcome obviously incredible amount of hardship. Um, a lot of people probably don't know that, but there's many different ways of coming at success. Right. And that's a big word, huh? Success. What does success really mean? And I think, um, uh, some of the podcasts that I've seen of yours, because I did, I, I, I spent the afternoon yesterday and I saw two that I really liked. And I, they were speaking of success. Both their success stories were so different. Um, and that's the really clear thing too. I think one needs to realize what is success to you? Is success money? Is it fame? Is it satisfaction? Is it just a clear conscience? What is it? Um, what success means to me, I still, to my heart of hearts, don't know. Yeah, I don't either. Yeah. I don't either, but I love the fact that you said that for those 25 years, this was a metric. Yes, it was. I have to admit, I felt the same way. When I was on Wall Street, your bonus, whatever money you made, was a metric. And I needed that metric to prove to myself that I think within that group, I am doing really well. Until it doesn't work anymore. Until right. you start. So, I mean, and maybe the whole point is kind of an ever search for success. In the morning when we were sitting and we were having coffee, you had said something. You said that I want to be in a free space where I can pivot to make decisions. I think at 25, I pivoted. And I think now I'm pivoting far faster because I want to make things happen in Quicker. a way, just like you with your with your restaurant, to do and change things that work for you. And I want to do the same thing, the All things right. work for me. Fantastic. Well, you know, we're going to bring the lighthouse to Lahore soon yes. enough. Are you really? I mean, I would love to now that I met, now that I know you. So here's an open offer for those who are listening. <laughs> for those who are listening, we have uh, we have a beautiful space in Lahore. It's uh, an iconic space. It's called the HSY Mansion. Yes. We have a gorgeous, huge courtyard and a lovely kitchen. And we would love to do a pop-up lighthouse oh God, yes. for a month, two months. Come over. I Honestly, think the I'm... audience in Pakistan would also love a new food experience. You would love to Show that. them what is it that you do here. Give them a taste. And if it works out, and we would love to host you. Thank you. That is very generous. I'm going to take you up on that offer. Do. You made my day. Um, Hassan, thank you. You're incredibly generous. Um, thank wrong. you for coming today, sharing the story with us. 
very eye-opening and very touching. So thank, you. so thank you. Thank you. And thank you for your generosity. And I'm so glad that someone of your uh, uh, schedule, I would imagine, is very difficult. Not at you, all. That you're doing, uh, you're doing these podcasts. Um, I, I, I kept, I, I was trying to do a video for you today in the car, and I kept thinking of the words. And it is truly that. It is informative. It is motivational. It is inspiring. And it moves people to do more. And I think that's a, that thank in itself is a gift. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the Lighthouse Conversations. Our producer is Chirag Desai and our content director is Farha Sharif. You can connect with us on Instagram at the Lighthouse underscore podcast for behind the scenes videos and more. And also, please go and listen to our previous episode in any of your favorite podcast apps or on our website, thelighthouse.ee slash podcast. I am Hashem Montasser and I'll see you in two weeks.